Heavenly Father, we thank you for watching over us, oh God, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that you are our God, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that, um, that you've led us all this way. You've saved us, God. You've done a great thing, oh God, in my life and in the lives of, of many of, uh, of us here, God. We thank you, God, that uh, we rest in you. And um, you bring sense to this place. Sometimes that makes no sense, oh God. And we thank you, God, for that. In Jesus' name, God, we ask you to be with the families of uh, the people who were, uh, you know, who, who were slain or people who, who died from the, uh, the incident yesterday. And also the, um, the other one earlier, God, that you will uh, bring peace to their families, oh God, and uh, answer the questions that we can't answer, oh God. And even the, the perpetrators, oh God, we ask you to bring peace to them, God. In the name of Jesus, oh God. God, bring peace to their hearts, oh God, to their minds, oh God. God, we ask you for you are the Prince of Peace, God. And, um, and we ask you to bring us peace to us. So bless this message, God, and um, just, just be with us in Jesus' name. We pray, oh Lord. Amen. 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 I could just pray all morning. <laughs> It'd be a good thing. <laughs> uh, Name's Kevin Lee. Welcome to um, welcome to Faith Chapel. Okay, uh, for you, we've already been welcome. The uh, the live stream people, live stream audience, we welcome you too as well. Um, just as you're here, God, we 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 welcome you, and um, we ask you to um, to allow God to just bless you today, in Jesus' name. Um, send comments if you're live stream. Send comments. Send emails. Send prayer requests, even if it's anonymous. Um, we, we love that because we want to build you up. And um, that's what church is about, building each other up in the faith and, um, and in the grace of God. We thank you, God. And we thank you, live stream people. All right. Uh, it's a great day. Uh, it's great. Everybody having a good morning? I'm, ha- I'm, you know, I'm having a good morning. It's, it's a good morning, right? Let's just give God a praise real quick. You know, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. I think God, just seeing people that I haven't seen in a while, just thank God, you know, I see Amy and Farid's here, you know, Lawrence is here, different people, if I'm, if I'm blowing up your stuff, just, uh, we just thank you that, thank God that you're here, and either other, even others, Teen Challenge is here, and that's a blessing to me, oh God, and just every face of, you know, of just people that I see every week, you know, and I'm not just, you know, glossing over, I thank God for seeing you as well. Because this is a family. We are a family. We are a family. I mean, we really are. And uh, we're the family of Christ, the family of God through Jesus Christ, uh, born, um, purchased by his blood. And I thank God for seeing you and uh, for, uh, for being with you. All right. Um, show a testimony about myself, just a little bit of stuff. Um, we're talking today about identity. Okay. Identity, our identity. And identity can... Um, it can help a person to determine what they're going to do. It can guide a person's behavior, our identity. It shows us what we are about. Usually when people don't have an identity, they tend to be aimless, okay, because they don't know. Suki, how are you doing? All right, well, my sister, this is good. With, without an aimless, I'm sorry, y'all. This is good. You know, this is, without identity, we tend to wander, 
Okay, we're aimless. We're like a car without a steering wheel, which needs to know which way it's going. For instance, identity on my, you know, on my ID, I have a few things, a driver's license on my ID, which shows that I am uh, authorized to drive a motor vehicle in the, um, in the United States. You know, a certain type of motor vehicle. It gives me that, um, not ability, but the authority and the privilege to be able to do that. Also on my identity, it's uh, on my ID, it's an uh, enhanced driver's license, which says that I can um, travel in air, 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 you know, flights across the United States, okay? Because I guess coming up soon, you're going to need to have at least an, uh, an enhanced, if not a real ID to do that, and I can travel with that. I can also cross borders. I can cross the southern and northern border with that ID. It gives me that privilege to be able to do that. On there, it also says I'm a veteran, or I have that on my ID, too. And I, um, in addition to being able to get the occasional and probably even more than occasional discount on things, like 10% discount at Carvel's, which is good, you know, I'm able to do that, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and I thank God for that because sometimes I go to places and I use the ID. Also, I'm a, I'm a veteran, all right? Um, and I thought about this, uh, and I think about it, you know, every time we have something with the veterans, and not necessarily the veterans, but the nation. Uh, sometimes I, I, I don't have a lot of red, white, and blue in my wardrobe. I have some T-shirts and stuff like that, and it's not because I just, I try to, you know, I think I have some style, you know, so I wear different colors, so, you know, and that's not kind of, you know, thing. But as a veteran, um, it's more than patriotism. Okay, with veterans and people who don't know veterans, we swore by our, an oath. I swore an oath to defend this nation. And there was no time limit on that oath. The oath didn't say, okay, for these three years, you do this and that. Or these other three years, you do this and that. That's an oath that's still binding. So as a veteran, I stand by, I have a vo- oath, if needed, to defend this U.S., this nation. And um, that's something that's very dear to me. And um, it's something that's real to me as a veteran. So all these things are part of my ID in there, okay? And this is, you know, parts of things that we use ID for, just a little bit aside. Um, maybe they didn't even know, need to know that or whatever, but it's just. Also, does anybody have a pain right there in their right arm? Right in the front part of your right arm, okay, on the muscle? Anybody, if you do have that, somebody had a hand? Okay, all right. Can um, we got Bob right, Bob right here? If someone can pray for him, pray. You know, if you're around him, lay your hands on him real quickly and pray real quick. I forgot. Sorry about this. I, I thought I forgot. Just lay your hands on him and pray right quick. Heavenly Father, we pray over Rob right now in the name of Jesus. Okay, we speak over that arm, oh God, in the name of Jesus. God, I don't know if it's the bicep muscle, oh God, if it's the ligament. Okay, or a tendon, God, we just speak peace right now over his body, God. We pray against that pain in the name of Jesus. We pray full, full functionality to his arm and to his muscles and his tendon, God, and the ligaments in the name of Jesus. The veins, oh God, and the specific muscle uh, um, cells that are right there, we pray uh, peace of it in the name of Jesus, God. Hallelujah. Amen. Peace in Jesus' name, God. Hallelujah. How's it still? You still there? Still there? I felt something in the front part. Sometimes God will give us a pain, not a giving us a pain, but we'll sense, we'll sense a pain and it's someone else's pain. Um, and I got a little bit away from myself. Is it still there or is it? Okay. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's give God a praise. Right? Hallelujah. 
Thank you, God. Hallelujah. 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 We said we're going to talk about our identity in Christ. And God, his identity, um, things that we do sometimes will, um, I guess, it uh, demonstrates our identity. And things like healing and things like miracles, they kind of address or they demonstrate God's identity. By doing those things, God shows us that we're important to him. Even our bodies are important to him. And in his goodness, sometimes he will heal us, okay, because he loves us. And because it's important to him that we're able to function in our bodies. Amen? You with me? Now, um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, the Bible talks about our body, soul. We're, we're part of three, three parts, right, people? Three parts. I can loosen up. Okay, so it's like everybody's very, you know, stoic. All right, three parts. What are the three parts of, of, of us? Body, soul, and spirit, okay? Body, soul, and spirit. And usually God wants to address each of those parts. When we preach, we want to address each one of those parts to activate us fully and to get God doesn't only just activate or address us on one part of us. He made us three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. Usually, the spirit, not usually, the spirit of man, uh, it uh, interacts directly with God. It's like it interacts, it's, it's God's way of really speaking to us through the spirit. Okay, just like uh, sometimes God will give us a message and he'll give it through the spirit, through our spirit. How we would look at that, we can go theologically and look, well, you know, God sometimes speaks to people, you know, and just, we don't know how, okay? But we do know Wi-Fi. You know, everybody know what Wi-Fi is? Okay, good. So it's like Wi-Fi. It's like Wi-Fi. It's like a Wi-Fi connection that God has with us. Okay, and at times he will deal with us in a very specific way. I mean, it could be a hundred phones around or people come through. You've got to have, uh, in order to get the Wi-Fi signal, you have to have what? Yeah. Have the password. Have the connection, you have to have the password. Amen. This is good. See, this is where we begin to interact. And this is good, what I would like, so we can do this. You have to have that password. If you got the connection with God, Okay, if you're connected with him, you're linked up with him, you've got the password with him. He's not, you know, you can have access to the, his Wi-Fi, okay, of, the, of God's spirit, okay? And what do you think that connection would be? Jesus, amen. This is good, so, amen. This is good. So people, you know, we're using, um, Jesus would be the connection that we have that gives us access to God. Okay, access to things that God wants to tell us or to talk to us about. All right. Uh, and that's sometimes, you know, and if you you have that, God will give it to you. All right. Also, we have our mind. Okay. Which is the part of us that deals here. Okay, in the place where we are, it kind of connects us to this earth, this mind. Our mind is going to be our mind, uh, intellect. Okay, what we know, what we can think about, will. Okay, the desire to do this, to do to do that, that's our will and our emotions. Okay, you exercise your will by saying today, I'm going to go to church. That was an exercise of your will. You didn't just wake up here. I don't think. Okay, uh, but we, we came here, you know, so that's, that's an exercise of our will, our volition to say, this is what I want to do. I know where it's going to be and I'm going to be there. Okay, and we exercise our will in that way. And the, uh, the last part is our bodies, body, soul, and spirit. A body is part of the our part that really does connect us to this physical plane. Okay, in our bodies, okay, we can come and we can go, and our will and our mind, it drives our bodies to do the things that our bodies do. 
okay, eating, sleeping, we're going here, we get in the car, okay, or we read or whatever, we play music. That's part of our body connecting to this environment. All right, you with me? So um, in church, we want to deal with that. We deal with God in all three ways. Why? We sing to him, okay, in our emotions. We're, we're joyful, and we, th- we sing to God. We're happy that we're here. We're happy that we're praising him, and we, we um, use our bodies. You may use flags. You may jump. You may sing with your voice. That's part of your body, okay, and it's exercising your body in the worship of God. Okay, and in our intellect, I mean our will, we desire to do it, so it's there too. So God made us three people, three persons, okay, just as he is triune, he made us triune in a way too, um, that we exercise on, we operate on those three different realms, or three different planes, all right? So as we're preaching, as I'm preaching today, all right, feel free to say amen. Feel free to agree with me. People to say, you know, because what happens with Josh when you do that, you're saying, yeah, I got you. I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Okay? And then you're, you're, you're agreeing, and then your body says, yeah, I agree with that. And your, your mind says, yeah, I agree. Body, you better agree. Your body says, okay, I agree. So, you know, <laughs> I agree. And then God says, hey, you know, and God moves through that because there are times that we do that, we interact, that God will use his spirit to, to, uh, to accentuate specific things and to say, amen, this is it. I want you to know this. Keep this. Go on with this. I want to get add more to it because now God wants to add more to what we know and more to what we think. He wants to add more to us and does this through his spirit. Amen. You with me? Okay. Good. Okay. Because it's good. All right. So I don't want to. All right. So we got good. So and feel free. Feel free to do it. Also, uh, in the spirit, I was thinking the other day. Um, okay. I'll get that later. All right. <laughs> It's nothing in it. Deborah, are you here? Where's De- Deborah? Where's Deborah? Deborah, Deborah, you here? Wave your hand to me. Deborah, okay, Deborah, uh, I had a word for you, or I think I had a word for you. Uh, yes, I did a word for you the other day. Is you're like Bar- uh, blind Bartimaeus, okay? And uh, blind Bartimaeus was in the New Testament, okay? He was a person Jesus was walking through. I'm not sure where he was going through. And the, the people were there, and everybody wants to hear Jesus, and they're going. And by, blind Bartimaeus is there. He see he... He didn't see. He knew Jesus was coming through. He couldn't see. Okay, see, don't do that. He couldn't see anything, all right? You're blind by the man. He wasn't seeing nothing, all right? But he, he, he heard Jesus was coming through, and uh, he hears the people, apparently. And he said, Jesus, son of David, help me. So everybody's like, come on, man. You know, what you, you, you're messing it up. Blind Bartimaeus, all right? We know you can't see, but don't you have any sense? Why don't you just calm down? Because you're blind. Jesus, you're bother. Jesus! He's, he's, he yells even louder the second time. And everybody's trying to stop him from yelling and different things. But who got healed? Jesus? I mean, Bartimaeus got healed. Okay? So you're going, you're good. You, you keep going, sister, because God knows you. God knows you. And he knows where you are. We see it on TV, people being rescued or something. There's a big flood or something like that. Or a, a catastrophe. And we see it on TV. We see the footage. And you see people doing what? They want to be rescued. They'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> please rescue me. Please rescue me. Look like they... You know, they don't do that. They say, hey, hey, I'm here. Here, here. Come here. They see that. That's it. I'm here. 
don't miss me. If you, I mean, there are people who say, yeah, of course, we, we don't miss you. You're like crazy. We see you. You're knocking people down. You know, we know you're there, but they want to make sure that you know. I want to make sure that you know that I'm here. Okay, and if you have to pick someone to rescue right now, you're going to probably rescue me first because I'm making so much noise and there's so much motion that people want to rescue me. So we need to go to God like that. You know what you need to do, but we go to God like that. I learned that when I was, I was let me see, I came to God. It was a rough place. Okay, my identity standpoint when I was very young, my mom said that uh, I started reach, um, reading when I was about four. I don't know about all that, but... Uh, <laughs> Well, the one thing I did really love uh, encyclopedias, world book encyclopedias. I don't know if you know, if you're like old school, you know, like encyclopedias or like, like Google books, okay? <laughs> Seriously, they would have everything you need to know in them, all right? All the stuff. So I would just flip through them, you know, as a, a young child. There were eight people in my, in my family, okay? I'm four of eight, which I mean four of uh, four, of four. I'm the, the fourth of the sons. All right, the youngest son, and I was the sixth of child of eight children. So six of eight and four of four. That's kind of how I refer to myself. Because in a big family, you got to have a place. You got you to know where you are because if you don't, you, don't, you may get lost, all right? So, uh, so, I mean, I would just read through the, you know, not read through, flip through the encyclopedias. And I'm not sure. I don't know what happened, all right? Again, um, I can't say what happened. I barely, I struggled with what I had for breakfast yesterday. Okay, so I can't think about how I learned to read, if I was reading it for, but that's the story for my mom. The big thing, what made it big is that uh, my dad, you know, working two jobs. We were in Brooklyn, Bedside, Brooklyn, and um, my dad's really trying to, working two jobs. Eight kids trying to get us moving, trying to get things going, prepare for the family and take things. So he's always working through so very, you know, he would work, come home, go to sleep, get up, go to his next job. You know, he was doing a lot. Um, but one day, you know, he, he sees me, you know, with, with the encyclopedia there. How you doing, bro? Good? See, with the encyclopedia, he says, what's that? And I said, prehistoric creature or prehistoric, yeah, prehistoric creature. And, I mean, he lights up. Oh, he's a genius. Oh, he's like, pick me up. Trying to learn the house. He's a genius. You know, oh, he was like, oh, you know, yes. You know, and it's, you know, like, now my dad was, you know, uh, post-World War II, you know, so it's like, he was like, oh, big. he's a genius. In those days, being a genius was a big thing. Yeah, if your children are genius, it's a big thing. So, so, you know, all that was big. But, and I had people in my family that had other distinctions as well, claims to fame. My oldest brother was a dancer, all right? And he was always on tour. I mean, he uh, uh, danced in Harkness Ballet Company, American Ballet Company. He danced at the White House for President Johnson. He was always, you know, he's always going somewhere in other countries dancing. He was really good, you know. Um, that was his claim to fame. My next brother uh, was very intelligent. You know, uh, kind of doctor kind of intelligent for our doctors like Farid, who was here, uh, that kind of intelligence that was there. And so hopes that he was going to be that kind of person. Next brother, uh, he was a very good basketball player, very good athlete. You know, he was very good. He was like a ladies man, you know, and all this, you know, and then me, you know, the genius. Right. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I was good with that. I, that was good for me. But, you know, in time, my father began to realize, and I don't even know if my father began to realize, but what happened was is my behavior did not 
uh, aligned with this thing that God thought that my father thought I was a genius. So in school, I'd cut up and, and do things and, and act silly and stuff. I'd still get good grades at first, but um, it was the behavior part, okay? And uh, behavior was not good, all right? And then we, uh, within a couple of years, um, we, we lived, you know, the 68 riots in, in Brooklyn, which were really um, kind of messed up, destroyed a lot of neighborhoods and different things. And shortly after that, we moved to Long Island. Got to Long Island, it was a different situation, different kids, different schools and stuff. And, uh, and shortly after we got to Long Island, I think three or four years after we got to Long Island, my oldest sister, she went to college. Again, another one of those big moments, like the genius thing, she was engaged and going to college. First one in, that fam- in our family, immediate family, going to college. And she was gone. It was such a big deal, you know, that she was going. But two years in, she got killed in a car accident. Actually, it was a hit and run. And um, it was, it's, it's even worse. But it was a hit and run situation. And it, did, it was devastating to my dad. You know, because, you know, his oldest girl, oh, everything. And she, you know, and she, she died in that car accident. Two years after that, he died. My father died. Okay. Uh, it was his second heart attack. It was a massive. And, uh, and that killed him. To what it did to me. Okay. What it did to me is all during that time, um, I failed to live up to what he had said I was going to be as far as being, you know, intelligent, you know, and being a genius, whatever. And I remember one time where something happened, because in the schools I was still taking Regis classes and things, but I was getting Fs or Ds or whatever. And I, he never said it, but there was one time he just gave me that look. It's like, and I knew that I had failed him, you know? And it, it kind of devastated me. But it didn't change my behavior. I was still a dingbat, you know, just, just being, you know, being a dingbat, you know. <laughs> I'm glad you think it was funny. <laughs> so, so, God, so God, you know, God, so, um, after, so after he died, I mean, I really went into a fog. And I was 14 when, he, when my dad died. And um, for the next 20 I don't even know if it was 20. It was a lot of years. I just lived in a fog. I was aimless. Aimless trying to do something that I couldn't really do. Okay? I would try to do things. For instance, when I did something, I'd be very good at it. I'd be excellent at it until I accomplished it, and then I didn't care about it anymore. When I went in the Army... I made ranks on waivers, all right? And people in the Army tell you, when you make ranks on waivers, it means as soon as I was eligible for the rank, I made it. I was that good on everything. Boom, boom, boom. Very good. But then as soon as I got to, to the rank I wanted, pff, I didn't care. You know, I got my honorable discharge, but I didn't care because something in me had kind of snapped, and I, it, I think I felt I was trying to prove myself to my dad, but he was not around. And after I tried to prove it to him, or at least I proved it to myself, then I would just let it go. Same thing in college. In college, I was on dean's list going in. I mean, first semester, dean's list, killing it. I was like, yeah, you know. People wanted to be, wanted to hang out with me because I was cool and I was smart. You know, that smart thing was there and very smart. But then as soon as I was able, as I proved to myself that I could do it, I just let it all go. 
And then things began to pick up in other ways. My dad died, my, the, the substance abuse became rampant in my family. My, of my brothers, two of them were involved with uh, heroin, strong heroin, 1970s heroin, which was like really, really stuff. And it was a part of that epidemic, the opiate epidemic that swept our community. And then I just kind of fell through. I looked around for someone to help me. My dad's not there. My brothers, who were to me like, the, they were like the bigger and they were gone. And I just succumbed into it. And I just became, I think those, those years I was like a zombie. I really was. Because nothing, I was just aimless going from place to place. I was still alive, barely. But I was functioning barely, but I was accomplishing nothing. All right? Because I didn't have an identity. Or my identity was broken. Any identity we get from man is going to fail us ultimately anyway. Because people lack the consistency, and there's nothing wrong with you. No, people are wrong. nothing wrong with people. But we lack the consistency and the durability that God brings. Okay? And I lacked that, so I didn't have that. person in the Bible is similar to that. Jacob, all right? Um, some of uh, Jacob, Isaac's son, Isaac's twin sons. Okay, um, Jacob, he had a brother named Esau, okay? And Esau was, um, Esau was the oldest one. He was supposed to get the birthright by law or by the tradition, the birthright or the, the right of being the oldest one, the mantle of being the oldest one was supposed to be Esau, all right? Um, which was going to be the head of the family, it was going to be the person through whose who's, um, whose line, whose family line, the seed, the promised seed was supposed to come, all right? So, okay, promised seed. I know we talked about farming before, but when we talk about seed, it's talking about the seed that was promised to Eve. After the fall of man, okay, when uh, in, in the Garden of Eden, after the fall of man, God gets all three of the, actually, he doesn't have to go get them because they're all right there. The serpent Eve and Adam, they're all right there, and God gets to say, okay, well, serpent, this is um, your situation. I'm going to curse you above all the field, all the animals of the, uh, of the fields, of everything. And you can go on, the, on your belly for the rest of your life. You know, throughout time, you'll travel like that for what you have done, okay? Because he tricked them into um, eating the forbidden fruit. And he also told the serpent, and he says this at a time, he's talking to everybody. He says, now, Eve is going to have a seed. The seed of Eve is going to crush the serpent's seed. Okay? So there's going to be enmity between you and humans. Okay? Particularly coming through Eve. And the seed of the humans of, of Eve is going to crush the seed of the uh, of the serpent, the enmity that's there. There's going to be there that, guys, I'm going to turn around. We begin, we begin to see the plan of God beginning to unfold, very shaded, not shaded, but very veiled, the God's plan. It's going to turn things around. But for Eve, he says, now, Eve, um, because you ate this fruit, you disobeyed, and you ate this stuff that you weren't supposed to eat, and you gave it to your husband, too, all right? I'm going to your childbirth is going to be greatly multiplied. Multiplied pain in childbirth and, uh, and sorrow. 
Okay, in the Bible it says there will be sorrow and pain in childbirth. Okay, so we with that? Is that right? You hear any, any amens? Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Deborah. Deborah's gonna get her blessed. Thank you, amen. amen. All right, <laughs> so okay, she's with me. Uh, how many women here uh, have, had, had, have had children? Okay, good, good. Okay, how many have you had pain when you had children? Okay, you have pain? Okay. Jesus knows. Do you still have the pain? Do you still have pain? Okay. Scars. Okay, amen. I noticed one person, uh, it's one lady, she's very wise. She said that a mother could only be as happy as her least happiest child. A mother can only be as happy as her least happiest child. Is that true? That's true. And then she would say, even if everything's going well for mom, if she's got one child that's not doing well, she can only do so well. Because part of that, it's not, it's the child bearing the event of bearing a child, but also is going to be an ongoing thing because as long as those children are alive and you're alive, part of you are going to be connected to those children, to that child. If they're doing poorly, you're going to feel it. If they're doing great, you feel that. So he's, he's connecting her to the children and say, not only is it just a, an event that you had a child and they say, okay, I'm good to go. But no, it doesn't stop them because they grow and then there's potty training. There's something else. Then there's somebody bothering them. And did they learn how to drive? And do they have a, you know, all these different things go along and it's going to connect her to her children in a way that is uh, a very real connection, similar to the connection that we have God with. All right. That's one thing that makes her special. Okay. The second thing with when she deals with the with the serpent, the serpent begins to uh, she becomes a target. Eve becomes a target, and women in general become a target of the enemy's system. Okay. And I'm not here to preach about whatever. I'm I'm preaching the gospel. All right. So in every every um, pretty much every culture that we look at, women are not treated fairly. Okay, they're not treated um, equally. Okay, they generally are not. Okay, and it's part of this, this thing to kind of crush them down and knock them down. And God tells Eve, but Eve, you are critical. You're a critical part of this plan. Do not, you are critical. This plan does not happen all the way without you not playing your part. You are a critical part of what's going on with God. Because God says, through you, Eve, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this thing around. I'm going to reverse everything that happened in the garden. The fall of man was catastrophic. And you, Eve, are the person, are part of what I'm going to use to turn this around. He didn't say that to Adam. He said, Adam, you're going to have to work more. You got to make this thing work for you a little bit more. It's going to be harder. But he did not say that everything, a lot of this stuff, the success of this move, uh, this mission relies on you. She was a critical person. All right. And we're going to see that through the stuff that comes after how critical leave is. So when we talked about the, babe, the birthright with Isaac and Esau. All right. I mean, Isaac, Jacob and Esau is the birthright was going to be who is going to be the head of the family that that seed promised to, to uh, Eve is going to come through. Only one person could, be, could have been the head of that family. 
It could only be one family where that seed was going to come through because God kind of traced it through. No one else knows what's going on with this. We know now because we can read back and we can check it out, okay? We can look in the Word of God how God traced it, traced the progression of the seed as he moved through those lines. Again, also, the moving of the seed coming through was not a supernatural thing. It was not like, oh, we would say, oh, yeah, sure, God. We you know, just get everybody up and start zapping people, and, ah, you know, and just do like a supernatural thing. Ah, no, God, it's going to be a natural thing. I'm operating this covert, okay, so that the seed moves through the natural, the natural progression of, of human beings. So Esau and Jacob, Jacob, Esau, each one of them have, actually, Esau is supposed to be the one that's going to be the leader. Jacob tricks him and gets to become the leader. Okay, uh, he tricks him, he gets him in a vulnerable situation, and, uh, and Jacob winds up with being the, uh, being the patriarch, okay, or having the blessing of God. Because being that blessing, who's going to bless your family, bless you and everyone around you, you were unstoppable. To mean that you were in the, the line of that seed had to mean because that seed had to get to where the seed was going to go. And you had to be unstoppable, pretty much. And this is what the seed being, being part of the seed's lineage was, was about. So Jacob gets it. Okay, he tricks him to get it. And then um, after he tricks him to get it, actually what he does was he tricks him two ways. First he says, hey, look, you know, he catches Esau in a tough situation. Esau was very vulnerable, came home from the field, very hungry. And Jacob's, Jacob is a man who sat in the tents. It says, Esau was a man of the field. He was like a he-man. It's like a her. He was out doing and stuff. And Jacob is more like, okay, hmm. chamomile tea? Yeah, I'll have that. You know, he's like very, you know, I reflect, very, not, you know, but he was very smart, very kind of shrewd and stuff. So he catches Esau coming from the field, and it's, Jacob's like stirring the pot. Yeah. It's that smoke. Oh, man, what's that, you guys? His mom made some stew, you know. It's real good. He said, man, I love that soup. I'm hungry, man. It's been all day. Can I have some? Jacob is like, no. Can I have some stew? Really? I'm your brother? No, no. no. I'm about to die, man, if you give me some of this stew. It's okay. Give me, your, give me your birthright. Give me your birthright. Give me everything that you are supposed to come. Give me the right to be the one who's going to head the family through whom the seed of God, the promised seed of God, is going to move through. Esau's not thinking. All he's thinking is with his stomach. I think that's his fault, as this later on in the scripture is going to say. So he says, yeah, okay, yeah, forget it. Give me the stew. I'll give it to you. Well, I'll give it to you, the stew. Because right then it doesn't mean anything. Later when it's time to get the actual birthright from their, fa- their father, um, uh, Isaac, Isaac is about to die. Isaac is like, he's about to die. He says, honey, honey, get, get Esau in here. I need to bless him so he can get the birthright. He says, really? You know, so um, the mom says, okay, well, look, Jacob, hurry up, okay? You go, put some, some, uh, some a goat skin on your arm, put some on your neck, okay? And put on one of uh, Esau's coats because your dad's going to go and he's going to bless you. And she goes, she makes the stew. Right? He comes back, brings the stew. You know, he says, um, Isaac, God, Father, I'm ready for the blessing. Isaac, who is it? Esau. Jacob says, Esau. Esau? What, Esau? You sound like Jacob. 
Oh, I'm Esau. I'm Esau, Dad. Well, come here. Come here, boy. He smell like Esau. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. And he puts his hand on his thing. He feel like Esau. Esau was apparently hairy. Okay. I mean, very hairy. I mean, I'm not, but very hairy person, which had to be some serious hair to be like that, like a goat skin. <laughs> so he says, and Isaac was gone. Isaac was pretty, he was almost there. Okay. I know we got to, uh, Isaac was, he was, uh, so Isaac was, was uh, there. So he blessed him. He gave him the birthright. He says, okay, now God is going to bless you. He's going to be your God. He's going to be with you where you go. Those who bless you, he'll bless you. He'll bless them. Those who curse you, he'll curse them. The heavens will be blessed. The whole earth will be blessed by your offspring. Your offspring uh, is going to be as numerous as the stars, as numerous as the dust, of, I mean, as the sand on the sea score. I mean, it was a serious blessing he blessed him with. Okay, and he blessed him, boom. And of the blessing, they realize, he realizes, it's not Lisa that I spoke with. It's Jacob. And the first thing they go, they got to get Jacob out of there because Esau's coming back to get blessed. So they said, Jacob wants you to go. You're going to go to your, your mom's brother, Laban, and you're going to marry one of his daughters. And uh, I know you're going to marry one of his daughters, and, uh, and you're going to start your family there. And they're kind of protect, trying to protect him from Esau. Okay, Esau comes back. I'm going to kill him. Okay, but he's all good because he's now he's gone away. And Jacob goes, as Jacob goes to, to um, um, Laban's house, he interacts with God. God gives him a dream, and God says to him, okay, pretty much what, what, uh, what Isaac said to him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to watch over you. Those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. You're Descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the sea sea store. And then he also shows him um, like a ladder reaching from the earth into heaven and angels coming up that ladder and coming down that ladder. And Jacob doesn't know what in the world he's talking about. So God is just, you doing work up there or something? Is there a project? He doesn't know. So he just goes with it, you know. And, and And at this point, Jacob is just trying to figure out what he's doing, trying to do. Half of his mind is on staying away from Esau. Other half of his mind is on trying to do what he's got to do. He finally meets uh, Laban, and in Laban, he has met his match. Jacob was a schemer. He was a manipulator. He was a shady dude. That's what he, he was shady. I mean, the, the word of God is real. He was shady. Jacob was shady. He conspired with his mom to cheat his brother out of a earth, a, a, a birthright, which was kind of the only thing in life that, that made sense to him, he cheated him out of it. And the mom was in on it. So he, he meets Laban. Laban says, Laban, Laban takes Jacob to school. First thing, he falls in love with Laban's daughter. I mean, he, he sees her and he kisses her. Now, he kissed, he probably kissed her on the cheek or something like that, that kind of thing. You know, you see, y'all, y'all are going there like he, he lays it on. He didn't do that. That'd been disgusting. And they probably wouldn't even know what you're talking about. What are you doing? Oh, my God. Get that. You just, no. It's so unreal. So he kissed her and cries about it. You know, I'm sorry. He, he cries about it. And he's like, loves her. And Laban says, hey, you love, you know, you like her, huh? Yes, I see, I perceive that you like my daughter. Yeah, she all like her, man. I want to marry that girl. Okay, work for me 10 years and she's yours. Because you got no money. Work for me 10 years, you work a, a dowry, and then you can marry her yourself. 
Okay, and, and Jacob works. He's like, yeah, every day is like sunshiny day. He's got music going and everything. You know, I could see, you know, Rachel, you know, bringing by a little lunch for him. Oh, lunch for my honey. I know you're going to be here. Oh, yeah, only five more years, honey. You know, so, 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 so he does all of that, right? Right? The marriage comes up. And then a marriage comes, it's a big marriage feast. Everybody, aren't you happy? We're so happy. Yeah, drink some more of this. Yeah, go ahead. Chug it, yo, chug, chug. And they're just gone. And Jacob, (laughs) Jacob goes to sleep with who he thinks is Rachel. He wakes up with Leah. Okay, now Leah was there the whole time. Leah's her older sister, which Jacob probably said, yeah, she's good, but she's not, you know, compared to you. He, he loved Rachel, you know, but he didn't really, he didn't feel the same way about Leah. And, and Laban says, uh, Jacob says, what you do to me, man? You skied on me. You manipulated me. You took advantage of me. Oh, no, man. And Laban, Laban says, oh, oh, look, in our culture, uh, we don't marry the, the youngest one before we marry the oldest one. And gee, I just forgot about that. These 10 years, uh, ever so forgetful, I did not even, it did not dawn on me that you were going to marry them both. I, I didn't know. However, see this, he really, however, you can still marry the first one. You can still get married 10 more years. I would think he would, he would cut him a break, seven, five and a half. He said, no, 10 years, this is it. So uh, for 10 more years, he works, and then he gets them both. So now he winds up with, and then he winds up with, he was with them for 10 years, and, uh, and then he gets uh, Rachel as well. Now comes baby time. See, now, remember it says, now, God will bring every act into judgment. It says that in Ecclesiastes. So especially for young guys, you know, God's going to forgive everything. Stuff is going to be forgiven. You get, you get saved, you're going to be forgiven. But you got to be careful because the stuff you do sometimes, God brings into judgment. They, Jacob came from a very divided family. They manipulated him. They took advantage, not took advantage of people. He had mom's son. Oh, this is my son. This is my son. This is my son. You know, and they just, just divided. Jacob kind of inherits that. Okay? Uh, time comes time, come baby time. All right? Um, Rachel wants babies, but she doesn't have them. However, Lee is having babies, not nonstop, but she's having a lot of babies. But it hurts Rachel. So Rachel says, this is what I'm going to do. Okay, um, dad gave me a maiden too, right? So she, she served me as my maid. So I want you to take her as a surrogate and, you know, you, you know, you sleep with her and then she'll have children for me. All right, so she started having children. And then uh, Rachel is, uh, Leah's not having children now. So Leah says, hey, well, you know, I got a maid too. So she got a maid, so she got more. So uh, story comes short, Jacob winds up with four wives and 12, 13 kids. But all the kids are divided because their moms are divided and their interests are divided. So um, getting back to Jacob, all right? Jacob um, had received the birthright. He had received the blessing, but there's part of the blessing because even though we get the identity from God, there's something else sometimes we've got to do. It's one thing for God to just lay it on us, but we've got to step into it. All right? Jacob's now is headed home. He finds out that Esau is on the way. Esau's coming out to meet you. He's got 400 men. 
did not say how many women Esau had, but all we know that everybody said he's got 400 men. Jacob is like, okay, okay. He's trying to play a, a brave face. 400 men, last I heard, this guy wanted to kill me. And actually, if he does kill me, then legally it would be okay. The birthright could still go through him because I'll be dead. Jacob is probably figuring this out. That if I'm dead, he can still legally get the birthright and still be the man. So Jacob is scared. So he gets it almost there and he gets to the place. He says, okay, he says, okay, here, you guys go meet, meet Esau. He loads up camels and goats and everything. Go meet Esau and get to Esau. And uh, here's the second wave. You go meet Esau. He's got a third wave. Go meet Esau. And every wave is big and it's got a lot of stuff. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to placate Esau. Trying to uh, take care of some of the anger that he has and say, well, I'm going to take care of it so Esau will not be as angry with him. Again, he's acting like the old Jacob. God told him he was going to be with him. Twice, three times. He tells him through his father. He tells him at, uh, at Bethel, okay, that he's going to be with him. And as he was leaving, God assures him, I will protect you. So, but Jacob's trying to protect himself from Esau. Then everybody's gone, okay, and um, now it's just Jacob by himself. He wrestles with the angel. Wrestles to the break of day, okay? And um, I'm looking at uh, Genesis 27 through 33, and he wrestles with the angel. It doesn't say what they said. doesn't say what they talked about, but he wrestles with this angel all right, all night long. It's just, oh, to the break of day. Uh, one trying to get the contest, getting mastery over the other one. And then the angel says, you got to let me go. It's break, day, it's daybreak, and I got to get back to, I guess, his post or whatever. And Esau says, no, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And the angel says, okay, he blesses him. He hits him right here in the, um, something like that, the, um, the hip, and it, it disjoints his hip out. Esau kind of gets wounded, but he gets blessing. He says, now, I mean, Jacob gets wounded, but he kind of gets blessing. He says, your name was Jacob, but your name is changed to Israel. You were one who strived with men to manipulate them and trick them, but now you will be a prince of men. For you have striven with God and man, and, uh, and you have prevailed. Now, in the scheme of things, a person can now, cannot outpower the angel of God. They're powerful. They're powerful. In books, I think, First Kings, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. So these, these angels are huge. They are big and very powerful. But what it's saying is Jacob put himself in a position that I am. He humbled himself and he made himself vulnerable before God. And that's what blessed him. Jacob had gotten out of the place where he was, wanted to save himself. And that's because that's what Jacob was always about. The birthright, Laban, that situation of trying to get himself out of trouble, to being his own protector. And now he's blessed. Okay? And now he moves on, and he goes on. And then he still deals with the division thing because he's got 13 kids. And uh, it's going to have enough problems there to take uh, Esau off. I mean, Jacob out. But in, um, in Hebrews, it talks about Jacob 
was leaning on his staff. This is when he blessed his, his family. He was leaning on his staff. That same staff that came from that wound in his, his leg that came from his interaction with the, with the angel, showing that since then he did not depend on himself and his prowess, his intellectual prowess, or his ability to scheme and get by things as, uh, as he had done before. Now he's leaning on God alone, which is what God wanted in the first place. Amen. Thank you. God always wants for us. Okay. Second person identity is um, David. And I'm not going through like the whole Bible. All right. Uh, the identity thing. All right. Excuse me. Um, Israelites later on ask for a king. Once they get set up, they say, we want a king like everyone else had a king. So they go to the, to, uh, the, uh, the prophet at that time, Samuel. So Samuel, we want a king like everyone else wants a king. And, and everybody got, and Samuel's like, oh, don't you know that God will lead you through his spirit? You depend on him, and he gives me what he needs to give you. And I'm not trying to take advantage of you, but God wants to lead you. You're his people. God is your king. But no, we want a king like everybody else who looks good and walks first and, and can give us, you know, a symbol and to, to, to calm our fears and to be our, to be our, our king. And, and Samuel is upset. Samuel's a prophet of God. He was a prophet almost from birth. I mean, two years old, that's when he be, first began to live in the house of God. And uh, God tells Samuel, Samuel, look, you know, it's not you. They don't, don't feel bad. They don't reject you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. They want a king. I'll give them a king. So, and God's going to give them a king, but God's not going to be, not if it was me, I'd give them the worst king possible. I'd like, oh, he could say, yeah, he would just, oh my God. He'd have like flatulence. I mean, he would just poo, he would just be horrible. You know, he'd be the worst king. I'd say, yeah, that's what you wanted. You want a king. See, that was me. But God gave them a king, the kind of king that they wanted in their hearts and their minds. All right? So, God tells Samuel, okay, Samuel, Kish. Kish of Benjamin, you go to him, or you're going to find his son, okay? And God kind of identified him, and, and Samuel anoints uh, Saul as king over Israel. He anoints him over, but Saul is not the person that he needs to be. Because to Saul, it's about Saul. When things got thick and the danger was there and the loss was there and there was going to be pain, Saul thought about Saul. Saul didn't think about the people, which is exactly what God told them. The king is going to take your riches. He's going to take your sons to be his servants, to be his armor bearers. He's going to take your daughters to work in the palace. It's all going to be about him. And that's what Saul was about. And Saul, uh, a few times, he, um, he disobeys God. God says to do a particular thing, kill all the Malachites, all right? Um, and Saul doesn't. And God, God tells Samuel, look, I, I'm rejecting Saul from being king. Okay, I, I can't be rejected. Because, see, what, remember what God is thinking about this whole time is getting the seed through. Okay? It's like God getting the seed to where the seed has to be because the seed is going to overturn the effects of the fall. The fall. Everything in this Old Testament, the majority part of it is about the seed. 
It's about the promised seed. That's why Eve was so important. It's about the promised seed. So God's like, I, it's the seed. Look, it ain't about having a king. My plan, God is saying, is about getting the seed. Because the seed is going to turn everything over. Okay, he's going to, re, he's going to turn everything over and, re, and return it. So he says, no, you reject it. I'm going to reject him from being king. Because he's not doing right. He's doing what he wants to do. When something is good, he looks of himself. When something is bad, he thinks of himself. He says, I want you to go and anoint um, Jesse's son king. So who, 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 who is this? He says, you go to his house and you will anoint one of his sons king. He goes to Jesse's house. He calls Jesse, Jesse in, in uh, Judah. He says, I'm going to go to your house and uh, bring your sons out. So I'm going to anoint one of them as king of Israel. Now, anointing is when God, because it's like in our common vernacular, our modern vernacular, it will be similar or synonymous to superpowers. Okay, you know superpowers? Okay, yeah. oh, okay, y'all went back to sleep to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, y'all with me? You with me? Anybody watch Marvel or any of these? So who's a good superhero? Wonder Woman. Okay, she has superpowers, right? Yes, Wonder Woman's got superpowers. Okay, a lot of these well, they, they don't have superpowers, but she's got superpowers. She can run, jump, very smart, and all that. That's superpowers. God puts His hands on a person to give them super divine powers to do what God wants them to do, to accomplish what he wants them to do. You anoint David king. When God anoints them, then that they can exercise godly, divine superpowers. That's the way that we can kind of understand it. So you're going to get there and do it. He gets to Jesse's house, short of it, okay, uh, to make the short of it. And Jesse brings out his, his oldest son, and Samuel says, I mean, yeah, sure, he's the man. Yeah, he's good. God says, no, not him. Okay, next son. Okay, God, no, not him. Next son, God, no, not him. And so God tells Samuel, he says, I look, people look on the outward appearance. I look at the heart, and he's not the one. He goes through all the sons, and... Um, there's not one. And Samuel says, is this all your sons, Jesse? Jesse says, oh, oh, oh. Um, he pulls a Laban moment. Um, uh, I do have one more son. He's David. David and other than one. The other one probably said, David, yeah. He's, he's out in the field. Dave's out in the field with the sheep. He's out there. Um, and pretty much it's almost like God tells them, look, you dishonored him. If you knew that God was going to anoint one of your sons to be king over Israel, wouldn't all of your sons be there to celebrate? Even if you didn't think it was going to be David, they would celebrate with him. But you thought not to have David there. You had servants that could have taken David's spot to do what he did. You dishonored David by not even having him there, treating him as less. Saul tells him, okay, this is what we'll do. Everybody stay. Everybody stay where they are. No one sit down, no one eat, no one do anything until David comes back. He gets David back, he anoints him king over Israel, which may give him kind of like the superpower of being a king. And I'm not sure how many years David serves before he actually becomes king, but it's going to be a long time before he becomes king, even though he's anointed to become the king. And for all intents and purposes, David is king. He operates like the king. He thinks like the king. He does the stuff the king would do. 
the whole Goliath situation, that was not about David. That was about Goliath and Saul. See, Goliath came, I'm the, I'm the, the champion of the, of the Philistines, and uh, I, I represent the Philistines. Uh, we're going to conquer you. We'll send our champion, and you send your champion, or whoever designated, the king designates the champion, you send him out. Whoever wins, whoever, the other people will be, whoever loses, the losers will be the slaves of the winners. I'm going to represent the Philistines. King, send your man, or you come yourself, and you fight me, and we'll see who's going to win. Saul doesn't want to go. Again, we know how Saul is. Saul is scared. Saul tries to get someone to go. Okay, somebody go, get, try to get the soldiers to go. They don't want to go. Then Saul kind of puts a bounty up on him. He says, okay, look, whoever goes, uh, you can marry my daughter. I'll give you some silver and gold. See, he throws his, throws his daughter out there, you know, and, and, and all this stuff. Whoever fights, because Saul doesn't want to fight. David gets there. David's again, he gets there because his dad sends him there to check on his brothers, but also to bring them some food. They get to say, oh, look, David, you again? You again, David? What, you always are starting trouble. You just, you little snot nose, starting trouble. You just want to know what we're doing. You want to know what the big boys are doing, Dave. Why don't you be be David? Because, see, they don't see him as king. So they just throw throw him around. And David said, what's going on? And he hears stuff that's going on. And David begins to get incensed by it. David gets angry by it. He's angered because he hears what, what uh, Goliath is saying. It gets under his skin. How, who is this guy? Who, oh, who are you? He's looking up at him. Who cares how big you are? David is incensed by why? Because David is anointed as king. David says, in David's mind, he is king. Okay? This is my fight. He tells Saul, I'll go fight him. Saul says, okay, well, he could take my stuff. He could take my armor. You know, he could take this and go. Uh, take the Camaro. You can go fight him in the Camaro. But he just go, just give him stuff. David says, I try your stuff. It's not going to go. So he goes out there. See, it was, it was Saul's battle initially, but Saul has lost it as being picked king. David did because he was known as king. As time goes on, David's going to be... Uh, more and more become king. Saul begins to realize that he does no longer have God's anointing. God's anointing has been ripped from Saul. And Saul knows where it is. Saul knows it. It rests on David. And then for a long time, Saul is going to try to kill David because he knows that David has got God's approval and his anointing to be king of Israel. Um, his identity was tied up in it. And because his identity was there, that's how he operated. Thank you. I know we're almost there. Okay? I'm not going to. God takes us to the uh, New Testament. New Testament, because remember, it's all about the, 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 uh, the seed, the root and the fruit. Okay? The seed becomes like the root, the root of Jesse, where Jesus comes from. And after the root, then you deal with the fruit. Okay, Jesus comes, and now his identity is no longer on Israel. His identity, he, he gets Israel because of the promise that God made to them, but now his identity is on everyone else. Everything converged in on Jesus. Jesus comes, 
dies on the cross, and now everything diverges back out to the world. That's why Jesus told the people, uh, spread my world, spread my gospel throughout the world. You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the parts of the world. He says, now go. Go and spread the good news. Spread this gospel. I'm with you. He says, go and do this. This is not identity. Is that as Christians, as disciples, as believers, uh, we are to spread his news. All right? No longer is it the inclusion, okay, the exclusion of Israel. It was all about Israel. Now it's about the world. It's about everyone. It's about find them out and bring them in. Get this. Uh, yes, uh, yes. All right. Um, the thing? Tool, 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 tool. All right. Jesus told them, no, 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 no. The, the, um, um, John 21. Jesus told them in John 21, he said, as the Father sent me forth, so send I you. How did, how did God send Jesus? He sent Jesus to be anointed by the Spirit of God to perform miracles and everything. Jesus didn't have his own power. The only power Jesus had was the power that the Holy Spirit gave him, anointed him with to do. That's the same power we have. Okay? Just like the anointing, the the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus, the Holy Spirit will anoint you, will anoint me to spread this gospel. All right? The big thing that we think more about is that... um, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Next one, please. Okay, in three minutes. All right. The problem is with it is that when we talk about people in the world, we become frightened about it, like Saul. I don't want to say, what, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? Jesus had to think of those same things. What's going to happen when I get there? And I'm sure he did, maybe the first time. But now I don't have to worry about what's going to get there because when I go, you're going to tell me what I need to do. When I get there, you'll tell me what I need to say. And that's how the Holy Spirit used him. And that's how the Holy Spirit will use us. But we have to get past our fear and allow him to do it. Go to that last picture, please, and I'll be good. All right. The last picture I did um, was rock climbing. Turn it the other way. Can you go the other way with it? I'm not. Will it go vertical or horizontal? The other way. It won't go the other way. Okay. For my birthday, uh, for my birthday, my my daughter, my wife, and my daughter, we went rock climbing. All right. On this right here, I'm going up and down. This the wall I'm on is about 45 feet. Okay. And I'm going up that wall. You can see some of the uh, the knobs are very small. To get hold to it. I'm up there and I'm climbing and it's hard. My arms are burning uh, because um, my technique is down. I'm using my arms a lot to pull up and my legs, I'm trying to push up on those. But I'm like I said, I'm about 40, at this point, about 43 feet above. I'm 40, 40, 43 feet off the ground. Uh, instinctively, I know not to fall. And even though they're big-time mats that are on the bottom, I said, well, if I fall, I won't die. But I'll probably be hurt big because it's 45 feet. And then again, maybe I will die. I don't know. But I'm there, I'm doing it, and I got to go. And every time I go to one place, I got to let go of something else. 
So I climbed this, and I got to let go of the other one. And I'm going up there, uh, and I've done, before this wall, I've probably done two or three walls already, so my, my muscles are done. And the only thing that's taking me going, it's good. I, I could possibly die up here or down there if I fall. But that, what you don't see is on the bottom, down there, my daughter has a rope that's not holding me up, but that rope will stop me from falling if I let go of that wall. I have to trust her. And to me, the, the rock climbing is difficult with my muscles, but the hardest part of it is the trust. That's the part and I'm, that what was bringing tears to my eyes. I couldn't trust. Couldn't trust. God asks us to trust. You know, and I'm not trying to slip something on you. A lot of times we think about, what about me? What about me? But that person that you see in the store, she's got a problem too. That person's got a story too. That guy's got a story. You know, and it may not be a good story. Definitely not as good as your story. Your story, you got God on your side. Your story is you were singing today. You were laughing. And you got God. You got your family. Your story is pretty good. That person that you run into, their story may not be as good as yours. Probably not. What's their story? There you go, up there. God, what do you feel about them? The other day we were at a place and We've got to think about them. God says, if you get it wrong, if you say something to a person and they say, I don't want to hear it, whatever, okay, I got you. If you fall, I've got you. See, that's the rope that she's going up there. So she's not holding me up with a rope. She's not pulling me up with a rope, but this is like a safety rope. And the Holy Spirit of God says, I've got you. Make the move. Okay? Make the move. Because people are dying. People are dying. There are people who went to the store yesterday. I hear you. People went to the store yesterday. They said, I'll just be done. I'll just be home in, in a minute, honey. I just want to pick up a couple of things for the barbecue, whatever. They're not going home. You know, a heart kind of aches over that. Not saying God, but we know that... Um, the Holy Spirit has our back. He has us. Okay? So walk with that, go with that, and go with that focus because now the, uh, um, the, the, um, the identity we have in Christ is, now, is no longer kind of identity that God's going to look out for me. It's, it's now the identity is I'm moving and I'm taking him, taking him to other places. Think about it. Talk about it. When you're somewhere... And you're just sitting around like me, instead of being on your phone, checking the news for the 17th time today, like something different happened that quickly. Instead of checking the news, find someone to talk to. Find some stupid way to make up a conversation. How are you doing, man? Good. Good. You know, I was just talking to God about you. Talking about me? Yeah. God's got something he may want to tell you. I don't know what God's going to say to this brother. But I'm hoping that by the time I get to talk to him, God says something to me. <laughs> All right? And that's not a false hope, you know? That's not a vain hope. That's a leaning hope. But why? Because God said he's going to go. Last thing. Jesus said he 
is the one who opens a door that no man can close. When Jesus opens the door, it's like an invitation. Come on. He says, go. It's like an invitation. He's got your back. Okay. Um, let's stand, please. Now, if there's anyone in here, and I'm a, you know, I'm the one who does not know Christ, I'm not singling you out. I'll give you the opportunity to meet Christ, to learn of him, and to be incorporated into his family, into his group. All right? You can raise your hand. I think most of the people here are pretty much already know the Lord. Oh, dude, somebody, they don't know God. Most people would say, you know, God, um, and God told me this morning, he says, you know, we, Kevin, you worry so much. We worry so much about ourselves that we don't worry much about other people. So much about myself. God, do I have it? Do I good? Do I have what I need to have? Do I know as much as I need to know? Did I read that book? I mean, did I memorize that system, that, uh, that, that scripture? Do I have everything I need to have to be successful? And God says, yes, you do. But you still, we worry about it. And while we worry about it, people continue in their problems. People continue in their situations. Take the risk. Say, God, I want, I want to take the risk. I want to take the risk. I'm going to talk to someone, body, some person this week, maybe two or three people. You may say, I want to talk to a different person every day. Dale would be that person. Say, I want to talk to somebody every day. Probably, probably already has done that. Now, I talk to someone who doesn't know the Lord every day. I want to find out what they think. I want to find out what's going on with them. I'm going to ask God about them. About, instead of asking God about how I'm doing all the time, I'm going to ask God how he feels about you, this person here, or that person in that next car, or that person doesn't look like me in, in the Burger King line or whatever. What God thinks about him or her. Can you do that? That's what identity is. I mean, I, I started this thing, well, identity, and I go through all this stuff, you know, and, 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 you know, when I typed it up, thinking about it, struggling over it, the thing like, I says, stop worrying about them and you, what your identity is. How about the person that you see? What do I think about them? What about my plans for them? I remember when they were just a little toddler. They're dancing, and they, they just had their toys, and they were so happy. 
before their world fell and crashed. And even though they're still alive, they still they live in a crashed world that is distorted. Like, do you care? God says, do you care that that person is in that bad situation? I'm not going to ask you if you're going to come up or raise hands or whatever. But just to think about it, what am I going to do to help someone else? And if I don't care, God, help me to care. Help me to care. Because we live in a toxic environment. Not chemically toxic, but morally toxic. Morally toxic. Yesterday we had, I don't know how many dead, I think it was 20. But the person, the gunman, he's a victim too. He's got a story too. And it may, it'd be easy to hate him, and ah, but there's a story. And the story may not be a good story. And for one, every one person that's doing it, there's a bunch of others whose stories are not good. This is what Jesus came to seek and save that was lost, which was lost. You see, he came to seek, him and, seek it and save them. He wants to do it. And unfortunately, not fortunately, he wants to use us. He wants, we're our hope. You're our only hope, Obi-Wan. You're our only hope. We're their hope. We like to say, well, God is. God's his only hope. God says, no, I've raised you up. I've deputized you. I've sent you. I've given you an open door. Walk through it. Because as you go, guess what? They don't have to, Jesus doesn't have to pour the oil on us to anoint us like Saul did, like uh, Samuel did to David. He's already done it. As you walk, the opportunities will be there. As you present yourself, say, God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to talk to that person. I'm going to talk to Josh, God. You better tell me something before you get there because I don't know what to say. And God says he will say that. Amen. Amen. So with that thought, please, you know, think about what God wants us to do. And ask him. Take the risk. And like I did on that wall, take a risk. I mean, I climbed that wall and I'm good. And the worst part about it, next time I go to that gym, she's going to want me to climb a harder wall. So <laughs> that's a 5'8". So she's going to be, it's okay, Pop, you're going to do a 5'9". And, you know, she's my daughter, so to her, I can do anything. You know, I'm up there, you know. But anyway, God is good. Amen. Make a, make a, a, cho- a, a choice to do it. Do something. Okay. Because the world needs us. The world needs us. Amen. I'm going to dismiss you in Jesus' name, Heavenly Father. Whoa. God, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank for what you said in your word, God. God, we activate your word in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Activate the doers, the hearers and the doers, oh God, to do your will, oh God, in the name of Jesus. The, the um, ministry team, that altar team is going to be up um, on the altar. If you have any prayer needs, this altar belongs to you. 
Altar is a place of truth. It belongs to you. If you have any prayer needs, any health needs, or anything like that, uh, please come up to the altar, and the uh, altar team will pray for you. In Jesus' name, we release you in the name of Jesus. Have a great week in the Lord. Testimonies, email them in. Email them in.